All right, we are still in Exodus 20 and moving through the Ten Commandments. We're to the seventh command. Another one that we could say in one word and or one sentence, and we've got it, but um, we want to do like what we did last week, look at it and ask what is the full implications of it. Um, and so the uh, seventh command is you shall not commit adultery. Um, last week we looked at you shall not murder. And what we did, we went to the Old Testament, then to the New Testament. And I just wanted to go back and remind something there. We, we have our command, you shall not commit murder. So no murder. That's intentionally killing of another person. Um, but the actual overriding command is love your neighbor as yourself. That's the positive part of the command. So love your neighbor as yourself, one of the implications is don't murder. Um, it's this right here though that is kind of a dividing line and what we find is that's the pivot, whether you're loving your neighbor as yourself, whether or not you're truly obeying that command. So obviously the actual act of murder is way over here. Um, and then we had things like unintentional, but where you were negligent and so on. But when we get to the New Testament, Jesus then includes what else? Anger and insults, right? And, and all of these then fit over here. And like Rod said, um, to be mad at somebody isn't quite the same as pulling out and getting killing them, but it still falls on this side of the divide. And then we get to the story of um, the Good Samaritan. In the story of the Good Samaritan, you have the robbers who definitely over here, right? They would have killed him. They just didn't finish the job. They left him half dead. Where do the priest and the Levite fall on this line? Negligent. Well, they're on this side as well. They do nothing. They are apathetic. They look at him and they say, I have no part. And they are clearly on this side of the line. They don't pull out a gun, and yet they are as, in a sense, as guilty as these people. They walk by a person in need and they ignore him. And the Good Samaritan is over here. The Good Samaritan is the person who is truly obeying the spirit of that law because he's the only one in that story that's loving his neighbor as himself. And then we have the picture of Jesus. Where does Jesus fall on this? Well, he's as far over here as you can get, right? He leaves heaven, gives up all of his rights, comes and comes to serve, not to be served. He comes to seek and to save those who are lost. And so the dividing line isn't way over here. You either killed somebody or you didn't. The dividing line is actually right here. It, are your actions uh, promoting life? Are your actions building other people up? Are your actions helping other people? If so, then you're on this side of that command. And that's how the, the commands need to be looked at. What is the intent of it? We are to be life givers, not life takers. Now, this week, 
we're going to have no adultery. And I would argue that something similar is going to happen here. All right. There's an act of adultery. Jesus is going to expand this all the way over, but we ought to ask ourselves the question, how do we move even further over here? How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? How do we love our wife as ourselves? How do we care for the other people around us who are married or who are struggling with this as well? So um, that's kind of an introduction. So let's, let's go to the verse, um, Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Um, let me just say something before we start here, and that is um, talking about adultery, talking about, as we will later, lust, uh, can actually be a little bit dangerous. When we talk about murder, nobody is tempted to murder because we talk about it. When you talk about stealing, no one's t- tempted to steal. But when you start talking about a lust, it's amazing what Satan does, and he takes and he starts pulling us away. So I have to be a little careful this morning and what's said, um, and I, I just wanted to mention that before we got going. It's, it's, uh, it's, you can't not talk about it, but at the same time, this has a powerful hold on us, and especially in our society. Um, adultery is any sexual relations between a married person and anybody else, okay? If you have um, a married man and he is engaged uh, in sexual relations with another woman who is married to somebody else or who is not, that's, that is adultery. Um, if you have two unmarried people, we have a different word for it. Fornication. It's fornication. It's actually not considered to be as serious what, what is the penalty in the Bible for adultery? In some cases, death. In most cases, it's death, yeah. Uh, the adulterer and adulteress are to be stoned. If a woman is, con- con- if a man believes his wife has committed adultery, then they kill her. But when it comes to fornication, they simply ask the man who has slept with the virgin to marry, marry her. Or if father refuses, and I would think that would be a real strong possibility, is to pay the bride price and the dowry for the, for the gal. So there is kind of a difference there. Now, bef- before we jump into it, I do think there's an order to the Ten Commandments. This is, I, I'm not going to be real dogmatic on this, but I think in terms of how much you, uh, how, how harmful your actions are, how far away they are from loving your neighbor as yourself is kind of in order in the Ten Commandments. As we said on the first one, honor your father and your mother. That's the foundation for all the rest of them. Uh, Nothing flows else. All the other commands are up for grabs if you don't honor your father and your mother. And it seems as though with the, the, the promise that's made there that you'll live long in the land and then later the curse that if you don't do this, you will be driven out of the land that in terms of the maximum amount of danger not honoring your parents is the one that affects society the most. Then after that, if you kill somebody, you have taken from them something that cannot ever be replaced, right? In other words, murder, and we're actually talking now about the actual act, is the maximum way that you can show that you don't love your neighbor. But then right after that is adultery. 
uh, adultery uh, causes or inflicts harm to the point where it destroys families, it destroys people, and things that cannot be replaced, right? Um, if you're, those of you who are married in here, if your husband or wife were to commit adultery, where would the trust be after that? That marriage is, in a sense, fractured. Now, uh, Jesus actually says that at that point you could divorce. The marriage is ruined. Doesn't mean you have to. What does it do to the kids? What does it do to the other family? Because there's not just one family involved. The ripple effect of that is, is and the, the inability to turn it back, just like murder, I think puts this one as the next command. What comes next after this? You shall not steal. Okay, if I steal something from Dave, I can make that right, right? And even after time, we, he may be able to begin to trust me again, right? Um, might take a long time, but that can be repaired. Um, reputations can be restored. The last one is you shall not covet. I may be coveting something of yours and you don't even know it. So I think, and just take that for what it's worth, the further down this list we go, the, the less immediate impact that it has. But, but adultery is the one that it, it destroys families, it destroys people, it destroys life. I read an, an article this week and a gal, I think she was a pastor's wife, and looking at some of the adultery that had happened in her church, she said it would be better for a man to take and just lay his kids on the floor and kick them senseless than to commit adultery. So because they could heal from that. Now, that's pretty dramatic. But it was just an interesting thing to, to say. Matt. Another thing to consider is that adultery is one of the strongest motives out there for murder. I guess. I, I'd have to think about that. But um, um, I mean, there is a verse in Proverbs that talks about if you commit adultery, the, uh, the other man will never forgive you no matter what you do, which is also damaging to that person. So. Um, now, last week I started out by saying I didn't think any of us in this room could be wrong had have ever committed murder. Um, I don't know. I've never known somebody who commits murder except for at the prison. <laughs> but um, I've never met a person in my life who has committed murder. But I've known a number of adulterers. Okay, and if you think about it, you probably have too. Two of my pastors have committed adultery. Um, at previous churches, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, but, but um, and, and good men who then fell into adultery. I've had a, uh, somebody relatively close to me who committed adultery. I've known of others. So um, I, th I think looking around this room, and I'm not asking you to, to do that, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's adultery in this room just because it is a much more common sin. Um, and one that, because of the culture that we're in and see, steeped, seeped in the pornography and the, the culture which is saying it's actually okay to do that, just don't get caught. Or it might even be healthy in a marriage to do that every once in a while. We have that culture that affects us as well. So. Um, this is something that we need to take uh, very, very seriously, okay? Somebody looked like they were gonna comment on that. All right, so let's talk about adultery. Just like last week, 
The reason that we're not to murder is because we are made in the image of God. W apart from the damage it does, why is adultery so horrible? Well, go back to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, we have the story of the first marriage. And it says in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then we know the story. All the animals are bought, brought. He names all of the animals and realizes that they all have a mate except for him. And in verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took, out, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Marriage is one of the institutions that's established prior to the fall. We know that at the fall, there was enmity now, and there was, seems to now that was part of the, the curse, is that marriage is gonna be much more difficult. But it's still something that was started before. The picture of marriage is two becoming one. And when that is ripped apart by adultery, then that, that union is, is broken. Um, the rest of Genesis shows Satan's attack on marriage, I think. Um, as you go through, if you go to chapter 4, I think this is your first attack on marriage, Genesis chapter 4. We meet Lamech, one of Cain's descendants. What is Lamech famous for? Well, two things. He kills a couple of men, and he brags about it, but he also has two wives. <laughs> okay, it's the first mention of polygamy in the Bible. Uh, polygamy was never intended, and in terms of that picture of a man becoming one with his wife, now that picture is sort of destroyed. It's kind of ruined as a result. And then as you go through Genesis, we get to Abraham. And some of this has to do with protecting the seed um, that God has promised. But we also see this attack on marriage. Um, Abraham gets into trouble twice. There's famine. He goes to Egypt and he goes to Abimelech. And both times, what does he do? He tries to pass Sarah off as his sister. And in both cases, the foreign king rebukes Abraham and says, this is a horrible thing that you've done. Because if we would have taken and slept with her, it would have polluted our land. By the way, that's a, we'll look at it in Leviticus, but um, it pollutes the land, adultery does. Then you go and the same thing, oh, then we have the ultimate attack which is that because they can't have children, Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham. And now that marriage is damaged. And from it springs even the conflict that we have today. Isaac does the same thing. Jacob, who loves 
Rachel ends up marrying Leah, and as a result, you see the conflict there from that point on. And then finally go to Genesis chapter 39, because we have Joseph, and we know the story of Joseph in Potiphar's house, and uh, Potiphar's wife, whose name is never told to us, um, approaches him, and so in at Genesis 39, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me, but he refu- committed adultery. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about everything and anything in the house, and he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. Now watch the next line. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Um, Joseph understood this is a great wickedness. And Joseph also understood something that we see again when David commits adultery, and that is that this is a sin against God. Um, If you go over to Leviticus chapter uh, 18, Leviticus 18, if you want to read all of the possible ramifications of thou shalt not commit adultery, they're all here. Um, We're not going to read the chapter. It's depressing. Um, It talks about bestiality. It talks about incest. It talks about about homosexuality. Uh, It goes into all the different possible incest that could be, and it all kind of is covered by this command. Um, By the way, let's just say something here. Um, When two men or two women marry, that union, of course, is not sanctioned by God, and what they are doing is still sexual immorality. Um, there, There is no, because now that's sanctioned by our government, our government is not God, it cannot sanction that. It's just as evil without the marriage, which isn't a marriage, but uh, I don't think we need to go into that. But now, um, the, all of chapter 18, like I said, if you want to read it, go ahead and read it. But then in verse 24, something interesting is said, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. And it's, this is in the context of this sexual sin. Do not make yourself unclean. For all these nations that I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all of these abominations so the land became unclean, lest the land vomit you out when you make an unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. Um, There's a really important principle. And that is that when, well, we can go back. When you murder somebody, the blood cries out to the ground, from the ground to God for justice. But sexual immorality causes the land to vomit you out. That's a pretty dramatic picture. You say, well, that's just for the Israelites. No, because God says, no, the people who were in there before, 
the reason that I am pushing them out is because of this. The land is vomiting them out because of their sexual immorality. So it's a pretty sobering thing, especially when you start to think about our society. So we mentioned last week, I believe it's 40 million babies have been murdered since the Roe versus Wade decision. And we have a society that's soaked in sexual immorality. And uh, these principles still hold. So um, it's, it's pretty sobering. Now, why is it so important? Our society would say it's just an act. It's just two people and what difference does it make? Um, what's interesting is if you go through the Old Testament, when you talk about adultery, there's the actual physical act, but God also then talks about whenever Israel worships foreign gods, they are committing spiritual adultery. The picture is perfect. It's, it's almost, it's a one for one. There's one God and one nation of Israel, and Israel is to worship God and God alone. A man has one wife, and he is to remain faithful to her. God remains faithful to Israel, but Israel does not remain faithful to God. And it is called spiritual immorality. Uh, Israel is called an adulteress. Judah is called an adulteress. The, the picture there, we have a covenant with God. And that covenant is in miniature in marriage. And when that covenant is broken, it reflects back uh, uh, to, the, uh, to a picture of what's happening with spiritual immorality. So there's a deeper truth behind that. For most of us, the one covenant that we truly enter into, lifelong covenant, is marriage, right? Any other lifelong covenants? Anybody ever hired on and said, I'll work for you for the rest of my life? No, those are temporary covenants. Those are covenants that change, but when April and I took our wedding vows, what was it? Till death do us part. It's exactly the same. Our relationship with God doesn't just go until death do us part, but it lasts for forever. And so the picture of marriage is a picture of God's relationship with his people. And because of that, it's an important, um, it, 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 it takes on added significance. In fact, I looked it up. Uh, when you use the word adultery in the Old Testament, it is uh, 12 times, if you take the word adulterer or adulteress, 12 times it, it's mentioned about the actual physical act, and 12 times it deals with sexual, I mean, uh, spiritual immorality. It's, it's a one for one. I, I don't know if that's a coincidence or whatnot. And I didn't look up every, it was a quick search, but it really is about the same. All right, so, yeah, Adrian. Yeah. 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 Um, Proverbs has a lot to say about adultery, and we may actually go back there before the end, although we're going to run out of time. Um, Hosea uh, is a whole book written about spiritual adultery. Um, let's just one last thing, then I want to get to what Jesus says. Um, Malachi. In Malachi, uh, this doesn't actually refer to adultery, but it does refer to the sanctity of marriage, which is really at the heart of this. And this is Malachi 2, verse 19. 
and it's um, my heading talks about how Judah has profaned the covenant. And the first way that they've profaned the covenant is by um, being faithless to God um, and worshiping foreign gods. There's your spiritual adultery. In fact, let's, let's read it starting at verse 10. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Ju- Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And then verse 13, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he do this? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. So when God says two things you've done, First is you've worshiped other gods, and the second is you have broken the covenant with your wife. Okay? All right, let's go to the New Testament. Matthew. This is Jesus, and Jesus actually has a lot to say about this. He doesn't actually talk about adultery a lot, but he talks about marriage and ties it back to the passage that we had read. But the passage that we want to look at specifically is Matthew 5, verse 27. Remember that this is the same passage as last week dealing with anger, meaning equivalent with murder. And um, it starts actually back in Matthew 5.20. I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees kept the law perfectly. When it said don't murder, they didn't murder. When it said don't commit adultery, I shouldn't say they kept it perfectly. They did their best to keep it perfectly, but they set up their own laws and they're missing this whole idea that it should go further than that. So now Jesus addresses murder, which starts with anger. And now he addresses adultery, which starts of course with lust. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So if we come over here, Adultery is way over here, the actual physical act, but lust is on the same side moving toward that. Um, It's very similar to the anger and the insults. In fact, it's exactly the same. A couple months ago, no, let me just back up because there's an elephant in the room at this point, right? And that is the issue of pornography. Okay? Wait, it gets real quiet when you say, it was quiet before, but pornography. Um, Pornography has one purpose, does it not? 
it's to feed that, right? Um, I, I would be willing to bet that every man in this room has struggled with pornography and that most are struggling with it right now. Okay? Um, that goes from the youngest all the way up to the oldest. Um, and we just need to understand that when you are uh, indulging in pornography, you are on the other side of that line and you're heading toward adultery. Uh, it destroys uh, your marriage. It destroys the relationship with your wife. For those of you young men who aren't married yet, it will warp your perspective even of what marriage is and what to be expected, right? Um, and I guess what I would say is if you're dealing with that, grab anybody and talk with them. Nobody's gonna be surprised if you say, I have a pornography problem. Nobody in this room, none of the men, because every single one of us has had to deal with the fact that you cannot turn on the internet without being tempted, right? Um, and uh, the internet tends to be pretty anonymous. So there are safeguards that you can put up and I would encourage you to do that, but it really is a heart issue, but it also is addictive. So if you've begun it, it's something that's hard to get out of. But we all like to keep the reputation that it's not a problem. But that's gonna be the main issue right there. A few months ago, we, or maybe it was a year or so ago, Pastor Scott shared at um, an elder meeting about a pastor that he knew who actually got caught by his secretary setting up an Ashley Madison account. Ashley Madison, for those of you who don't know, is a website that is to link up people who want to engage in an adulterous relationship. So she walked in and saw him typing on the screen and he was filling out an Ashley. Of course, then she talked with the elders and he was brought under discipline. And I believe John MacArthur was involved in the discipline of that. And John MacArthur had an interesting statement. He said, um, somebody said, look how far he's fallen from being this well-respected pastor to now being totally disgraced. And John MacArthur said, no man falls far. He did not be loving his wife and do, living his life the way he should, and then a day later is filling out an Ashley Madison account. He's already taken step after step after step after step. He fell this far. He just got caught, okay? Um, if, if you're on this path, it will lead to the physical act of adultery if you're brave enough, perhaps, I, that's a wrong word to use, but um, a lot of times it's just a fear of getting caught on that, but the point is that you've already begun down that road. And so it's something that we have to deal with. I mean, that's really gonna be the main issue in here. Um, by the way, Having said that, pornography was always an issue that was a man's issue. Well, that was interesting. Um, but recently, our society has now begun to tempt women with pornography, right? There were always soap operas, which is its own little fantasy world, right? Um, and then there was always the romance novels, which have their own little fantasy world. But now we've moved one step past that, right? What was the big movie last year at this time? Came out on February 14th of all time, things. It was Fifty Shades of Grey, 
which is, was a, a, a movie for women, and it was a pornographic movie. And that book, Fifty Shades of Grey, sold millions and millions and millions of copies. So um, it would be foolish to not think that some of you women aren't dealing with that same issue. And once again, we're being told that it's healthy and that it's okay and it's a, it's a harmless outlet, but it, but it isn't, okay? So here's the question, because I, I don't want to end on that. And I, I'm, I'm interested in ideas here. How do we move over this way? We've spent all of our time, this is the physical act, this is what leads to the physical act, all the different aspects of that. What, what do we do to move over to this side? And I'm not talking about stopping doing this. I'm saying what are the positive things we do to promote, to promote marriage, to promote our marriage, if you're married, to promote the marriages of the people around you, to prevent people from going that direction. Frank. Was that? Stay true to the scripture. Okay, stay true to the scripture. Yeah, the closer you are to God, the closer you hold to your covenant with God, the more likely it will be that you will, um, that you will be faithful to your, to your wife. And by the way, when you, when you do start down the road of, of lust, your relationship with God will suffer more than your relationship with your wife. Actually, Kirk looked like you were going to say something. Yeah. Okay, Dan. Okay, you're going to have to explain. Basically, realizing that God sees everything, knows everything, there's nothing you're going to escape from where you are. There's no secret life with God. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. There is no secret life with with God. Okay, (coughs) David. Venues and appropriate context, you'll be able to communicate that. Like, think about our children, and um, you know, you think about. 
about teenagers and even ourselves, but in, in appropriate context, we, instead of feeling ashamed or embarrassed even about the intimate side of marriage, we should celebrate um, the reality that marriage is honorable in every way. And I think when we lose our ability to talk about things that are either embarrassing or whatever, if we lose that ability to talk frankly and even biblically about it, we're letting our culture scream it's, you know, pursue adultery, pursue lust, it's all good, and we just whisper, um, marriage is good and, and it's okay. You know what I mean? So I just think we should we should be able to fight, you know, lust is evil and adultery is evil. What God has created is good and it's wonderful. And I think we probably do as and maybe I'm wrong, but I think maybe as parents and maybe as a church, we probably do too little talking about um, the goodness of of how God created marriage to work, um, and we let our culture do all the preaching. So. Okay, very good, Darla. I know it's mentioned um, accountability and finding someone who keeps you accountable because I think that you know it was meant like what what fellowship does light have with darkness, and so I think when you're shining a light on your sin. And I mean, it, it, it's going to be a hard thing to do for anybody, but when you're shining a light on your sin, you're taking away the power that it has because now somebody can ask you tough questions and keep you in faith. And I think, a, like, instead of just also volunteering, there needs to be somebody who is willing to ask those tough questions and mention, hey, so I noticed that you're stepping away, or I noticed that you know, you've gone quiet about something, or... Yeah. So, recognizing that we all struggle with that, those issues at some level, and talking to each other, and especially finding somebody that you can be very honor, honest and accountable to. Adrian. <coughs> yeah, so then, then um, now you're going back to Job. I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon a virgin. So um, that the idea of, of, of putting up, not in a legalistic way, but some, some hedges. I remember early in our marriage, um, a friends of ours, um, close friends, um, had a book called Hedges. And basically in there it said, don't ever be alone. If you're a married man, don't ever be alone with a woman who's not your wife. Not because it's going to cause you to commit adultery, but it opens the door to something. In other words, uh, it, it, it's not really right for me to have a close woman friend other than my wife. I can be friends with my wife's friends, but when she's around, right? So that would be a, a hedge that would be put up. Um, let me, we're going to run out of time. Let, let me just take you to one other passage. Uh, actually, well, I do have a couple of things I want to stay here because I've thought about this a little bit more. But... Um, the famous passage out of Ephesians talking about marriage <coughs> and um, <coughs> just a second here I lost my verse uh, Ephesians 5 
um, talking about husbands and wives. <coughs> um, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, the ch as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify in her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, why husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and his church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Um, if we get all the way back to the main principle, it's that our marriage reflects the relationship between Christ and his church. Uh, men, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Um, I, I think even the way we speak about and to our wives is going to affect um, what we do in other areas. Uh, I'll be honest, when I hear a man criticize his wife, even playfully, uh, I, it's just, it grates on me. <laughs> a man should never say anything about his wife that tears her down uh, in front of somebody else. There's a few other things, let me just throw them out. Um, Paul is, talks about this in Corinthians. Uh, do not deprive yourselves of each other. Marriage, like David said, the marriage bed is undefiled. Uh, husbands, your body belongs to your wife, and wives, your body belongs to your husband. When marriages go and sex begins to stop in the marriage for whatever reason, whether we like it or not, it causes there to be a shift in that marriage. And now you start to have more temptation that direction. So. We have to understand that we are married to another person and be very sensitive to their needs. Um, I think we have to be very careful as well in our own church. Be careful, women, what you wear because it's tempting and you don't want another man lusting after you. I remember we used to go up to Hume Lake and the gals were required to wear a t-shirt over their bikinis they wore a bikini. Of course, some of the one pieces are as bad as bikinis, but it doesn't, they had to wear, if they were wearing two bikini, they had to wear a t-shirt over it. Why? Because of this principle. It was lustful. It caused lust. I remember John Piper writing that he doesn't take, this is, kind of goes along with what Adrian was saying, he, he doesn't like to go to the beach on vacation. Because what's at the beach? <laughs> Women wearing almost nothing. Right? He said, it's just hard for me to keep my mind focused on what's important when everything I see is trying to take me away from that. Um, I remember we were at, not this church, but another church, and there was one gal who would always wear tops that were, um, you know, they went around like this. There was no shoulder strap, okay? So, uh, there was, so ab above this, well, then she would sit in the pew, and she's, she's, so that when you looked, all you could see was naked, okay? 
it was very, very distracting as a man to sit there and look at I knew she had clothes on. I mean, I, I saw her walk in, but it's amazing what the mind does, right? I mean, it, it's all of a sudden, and it's like she had no idea, or maybe she did, but she didn't know what that was doing. So women, you need to be very careful. You need to be watching what you're wearing, um, watching what your daughters are wearing, if you're a man. And we need to help each other because the temptations are there. But ultimately, we still come back to this. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to be building up marriage. We are to be thinking of our wives as Christ thinks of the church. And if we find ourselves over on this side, and some of you are there, um, find somebody, even today, and say, look, I've got a, I've got a little problem here. What can we do to, to deal with that? So um, it's, it's an issue. This is one that probably more than all the others is the one that we're battling because it's just everywhere. So any comments or, uh, before, we, before we end? Tim. It sounds like they're legitimate tears that they're actually saying, God, why have you forsake? Why have you abandoned us? We bring our offerings and nothing seems to be happening. You're not responding to us. And he says, yeah, because of the way you've treated your wives. Um, so that, that's the way I read it anyways, because it seems to be legitimate tears. They're truly distressed that they don't, they don't understand why God stopped answering them. That's because of the way they've treated their wife, the w- way they divorced their wives. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. I just thought that's definitely when you said it's like that important, those tears, that's what you want in the relationship with the Lord. Yep. Yep. Let, let's end with one passage and then we're done. I know we're a little over. Proverbs chapter 5. <clears throat> wow. There it is again. I guess time's up. But all right. Um, Proverbs chapter 5, starting at verse 15. Very poetic, but uh, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for the strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a foreign woman and embrace the bosom of of an adulteress? For a man's ways, this is what Dan was saying, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. God gives, uh, if you're married, God gave you your wife. She is there for your, uh, to, to always delight in her. And, and if, if that's our picture, then this issue will recede. But um, it's, it's a difficult one, and one that we're going to battle with, because our society is dead set against um, healthy marriage just like it's really against life at this point. So let's close in prayer.